I'm Tanner Scott, and you are listening to Secrets to Scale. If you want to scale your business, you've come to the right place because this podcast is all centered around hearing successful stories from successful people and uncovering their secrets to scaling their businesses. This week on the show, Jared Spiewak from Comet Fuel joins me to discuss how to make your marketing campaigns more profitable. Jared has some really actionable insights for business owners that want to improve their own marketing efforts. Stick around, you don't want to miss this week's episode. Welcome to the show, Jared. I'm really excited to have you. Let us know who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Jared Spuak. I'm the founder and lead strategist of Comet Fuel. We are a boutique marketing agency that helps exceptional businesses fuel their growth through Google Ads and SEO. Awesome, man. So how'd you get started in marketing? Can you kind of tell us what your story is? Yeah, so I'll give you the the somewhat quick version. I got started in marketing when I was 14. I started college at 15, graduated high school at 16, and that was kind of my uh, methodology of making a little bit of money to help pay for college at the time. I went to school for marketing when I was uh, 17. I got my first corporate job. So at that point, I thought, you know, I've made it. I'm 17. I have my first corporate job. I'm going to, you know, my life is set. Uh, But very quickly, I learned that the corporate world just wasn't for me. And so I started trying to figure out what else I wanted to do. I signed up for a site called Upwork.com. Just after the Elance Odesk merger, I started working for $5 an hour thinking that I would start to build a portfolio and get a job somewhere else. But uh, apparently I wasn't good enough at interviewing because no one else wanted to hire me. So I started growing that a little bit. I was like, ah, maybe I can freelance on the side, make some income, make the, uh, honestly, the pain of the corporate job just a little bit less painful at the time. Then I ended up getting a full-time job offer from a marketing agency. I quickly left the corporate job, worked for the marketing agency, quickly worked my way up to their lead SEO strategist. And then over the course of about two years, I went from full-time to part-time to no-time, was sitting there as a fairly successful freelancer. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start my agency. And then three years after that, rebranded from Blue Dog Media over to Comet Fuel. So that, that's a really cool story. And Man, props to you for graduating at 16. That's insane. I can't even imagine doing that. Uh, Yeah, really cool accomplishment. So now that you've kind of gotten to where you want to be, what advice would you give to your younger self? So if I could go back in time, one thing that I really would like to see how it played out of is I probably would have tried to have dropped out of high school as early as possible, gotten my GED, and then probably just gone to school like a year or two or gone to college a year or two earlier and gave myself that fast track, just because I think it would be a little bit funny, to, to be honest, to be like, yeah, J1 dropping out, got my GED, and now I'm you know, in college, just circumvented that whole system. But I mean, in a more practical sense, one thing that, or maybe two things I wish I would have done a little bit more is I think I both jumped ship too early and too late. 
for going off on my own because I was in a position where I was working for a marketing agency and I was also white labeling work for other marketing agencies. So I wish I would have been a little bit more mindful of what was happening around me and studied what they were doing a little bit more to understand like, oh, how does project management actually work rather than, you know, being several years into this and being like, well, uh, project management is just all over the place. It's hectic. It's wasting so much time, et cetera. So I think I was, I had such an opportunity to uh, look a little bit deeper that I didn't always take. And then on the other side of things, I wish I would have taken this a little bit more seriously early on. I spent a lot of time just kind of one toe in the water, not really sure about what I wanted to do. And then once I actually decided, okay, I'm going to focus, I'm going to also ignore what everybody else is telling me as to how to grow my own business. And I'm just going to do it my way. And if it fails, it fails. If it works, it works. It was you know, on me. And as soon as I started doing that, business became a lot easier. It became a lot more profitable and it became a lot less stressful as well. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to you know, growing a business in your own way, right? Because no one knows your business or your industry or market as well as you do, right? And got all these gurus telling us what we should be doing, but, you know, it's not always going to be the right fit. Uh, And I find it interesting that you say that you wish that you kind of paid more attention to how projects were managed and all that stuff. It's funny because when I started my agency, I had zero experience. So I was, I've been going through this whole process of, okay, how do other agencies do it? And I think that it's actually helped me not knowing how they do it because I've developed my own processes and all that stuff. And, you know, to this day, I still think, okay, well, maybe I'm doing something really weird or I'm really off about something, but, you know, I, I find comfort in knowing that the way I do things might not always be the same as what everyone else is doing. And I think that's really how you stand out, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's... Um... I think there's a lot to it. I think it also depends on where your your skills lie. So for example, like uh, organization is not a skill to me. So I would love to, uh, that project management stuff took me years to get even some sort of a b- basic system down. Uh, whereas other parts where it comes to uh, like sales, for example, like we basically don't really do sales in a, in a weird way. So uh, like, and I definitely uh, agree with you. Uh, and I think it, it also ha- kind of depends on the person as well. Some people really need that base and uh, kind of doing it on their own for some people is just going to be uh, too much to handle. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm a system builder. That's kind mm-hmm. of my strength. I don't really care to do much of the fulfillment side, more of the building side of things. But Jared, what would you attribute your success to thus far? Um, learning like a sponge that's discovered cocaine. I just absorb knowledge at an unhealthy and excessive rate where when I got into, when I got into SEO specifically, once I got hired by that agency, that's what kind of what cemented me is, okay, I'm going to focus on SEO for a bit prior. I was kind of doing anything marketing related. And what I did was I created a custom RSS feed to just read every new article that came out from every major publication, as well as other companies that I liked what they were doing. And I read every single article that came out every single week, but I also went back and read about two years worth of everything that happened beforehand. And I started joining every forum and I started reading every popular post that was on that forum. And I started uh, just being completely engrossed with that, with everything that was happening around me. And what I saw was that the, uh, you know, there's a mixture of both, you know, uh, knowledge and skill or experience. And someone who has only experience, you know, learns one day at a time. 
someone who only has knowledge never makes it anywhere because they haven't done anything. But uh, what that knowledge allows you to do is kind of, um, you know, it's ex- essentially like an experience multiplier. It's, you know, I, this is the first time encountering this, but I learned from somebody who's been doing this for 10 years, how, how they solved a similar problem. I'm going to start there where somebody else might just, you know, be uh, you know, kind of playing around and hoping for the best, throwing stuff at the wall and sees what sticks. So I just found that to be uh, a massive a boost. And I've seen that continue throughout my entire career when it comes to anything, even when we, uh, you know, bought this house, I probably spent, you know, 20, 30 hours over the course of a week researching how, how mortgages work, how loans work, how brokers work, how uh, real estate agents work, how inspections work, appraisals, so on and so forth. And it just made the process a lot easier for me. And I was able to have a more easy time with the relationship, so on and so forth. So uh, learning is something that everyone knows is important, but I think still gets vastly understated uh, with just how much uh, it can really excel, uh, how far you're going to make it essentially, or how quickly you're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And, you know, I think especially with something like SEO, there isn't really any formal education out there. Uh, I think that's really the best way to learn is just by, you know, being a sponge and soaking up all the information that's out there. And there's a lot to be said about that. I think entrepreneurs that consistently try to learn as much as they possibly can on a regular basis are always the ones that are way more successful for sure. So, so Jared, while you were growing your agency, what were some of the obstacles that you faced? So a couple of really big ones is one of them was Uh, I'm a very independent person in every way, shape and form. So being at the point to actually hire somebody to do just about anything took way too long. And so there was a point where uh, as as I was making the transition from my freelance to an agency, uh, as a freelancer, I was doing about 20,000 a month of recurring revenue. And I was like, okay, great. This is the time where it makes sense to hire somebody. Uh, I was taking on too much and it was too, too much work. So I had to have somebody in there, but I didn't know how to train people. Uh, it's still say I'm not the best at it. I didn't know how to uh, assign tasks, how to manage all that, how to make sure everything was in a lot in a row. And so I got to a point where for my own, uh, sanity, what I had to do is fire about half my clients and over about three months, almost half of what was left fired me. And so over the course of a couple months, revenue was down by about 87%. I went from about 20,000 a month to about 3,000 a month. And then I, you know, that was basically uh, also a great opportunity though, because I spent that time figuring out what's next and, you know, where I made mistakes. And I had all the free time in the world to basically figure out what I needed to do. So that was a really big one. The other one was uh, cash management, uh, which was, you know, there were times where I was spending way too much money just because, hey, there's money in the bank, money can be spent. There are other times where I wasn't spending nearly enough money. And it's like, hey, great, you know, there's a bunch of money in the bank, but the business isn't really progressing much because there's, there isn't an effective use of capital happening uh, within the business to actually have it grow. Uh, I would say almost every, every major pitfall has kind of run into one of those two categories, either my weaknesses when it comes to interacting with you know, uh, people and teams or uh, the weaknesses that I had in my financial education. Yeah, I'd say that we, we have pretty similar obstacles that we faced. Uh, another obstacle that I had a lot of issues with was sales. And you briefly touched on that a little bit earlier, but you said that you guys don't do sales. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So the way that we run our agency 
at least what I mean when I say that we're a boutique company is we work with a max of 25 clients at a time. And basically when that's full, that's full. And we take all that time that we normally go to like sales, marketing, et cetera, improving our skills, which allows us to improve what we charge. And so the revenue and profits can continue growing, even though that the number of clients don't. Now, when it comes to the actual sales process, uh, really it's basically uh, get somebody on a call just to ask some informational questions to get an idea of what they're looking for. And then look at their, you know, whether it's their Google ads account or whether it's their website for SEO, get an idea of where they currently stand. And then basically just get on a call and be like, Hey, here are the issues that we found. Um, here's what we're going to do to fix them. Here's what the price is going to be. Yes or no. There's no real, no real uh, push for it. There's no real um, you know, sales tactics to get used behind it. Even when it comes to like about information and case studies, like it's kind of just brushed off where it's like, Hey, if you want to see them, we have them. That's all by me, but we're not going to sit there for 15, 20 minutes and go, here's a case study. Here's their problem. Here's their solution, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Cause most people just don't care about that. And what I do is I leverage the content that that's created through things like podcasts and say, if you want to know uh, about us besides just, Oh, what we can write down when we have time to think about it on a, on a piece of paper, which we can say whatever we want, uh, you know, listen to us actually talking through a podcast where it's a lot harder to, um, you know, pretend that you know stuff when you don't, because, you know, you could, do, you could just copy a proposal for somebody else. But if you ask me a question here and I can't answer it, I think it's kind of evident that I don't know what the answer is. So a lot of that is, hey, figure out if you want to hire us before we even talk. And then from there, it's just a matter of here's what we're going to do for you. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of take a similar approach to that. And I think it's really smart to do it that way because, you know, you really shouldn't be begging for clients. And I think that the the agencies that beg and really hit sales really hard, those are the ones that can't really back up what they're saying, right? They're churn and burn and they're just trying to sell as much as they can because there's as many clients going out the door as coming in, right? Yeah, there's, I tend to find that there's two types of people that will start an agency. Either they have the sales background or they have the more technical background. Those that have the sales background, they're much better suited for a volume-based agency where you're maybe uh, offering lower price services. You maybe have lower skill levels in terms of the execution of the services, which is going to be right for some people because the lower prices, lower skill, that's just what they need. But the advantages that that company has is that their sales process is insane. Obvi- uh, oftentimes, they're, uh, they're uh, account representatives, their account managers, et cetera, are some of the uh, you know most skilled in the industry because that's what they need in order to keep their retention high. Whereas you know on the other side of things, uh, basically they're complete opposite sides of the spectrum. When started by a more technical person, usually the lower volume, it's going to be higher cost because it's higher skill. But usually you know the the sales processes and you know the you know the actual like cold email campaigns tend tend to not work for those people. Whereas the sales based people, you know, it works for them because that's just natural to them yeah yeah and, that, and that's a good point you know I, I i think that we're a lot alike when it comes to who what, what category we fall in um for that but you know i like to just let the work speak for itself you know i i find that sales comes a lot easier when it's like hey we we've done this here's our pricing let me know like whatever i don't care if you say yes or no you know so, so Jared, today we're talking about marketing campaigns, specifically about achieving a higher ROI with marketing campaigns. Uh, in your experience, you know what what has contributed to a higher ROI with your clients? 
Yeah. So there's a couple of things that over the years that we've learned that have uh, kind of uh, shaped our approach is that when it comes to things like uh, keyword research or uh, you know anything that you would typically associate with, oh, like auditing and implementation and whatnot, that tends to be step like five to seven for us, where what we start with first and foremost is uh, we won't even take somebody on if we don't understand their business, first of all, which is that it can, it's a little bit funny to me when I'll talk to people, they're like, yeah, we have this client, they pay us like 20 grand a month. I have no idea what they actually do, but you know, it, it's working. So, you know, that's great, but the actual, the real nitty gritty uh, advice and those tactics that are, uh, you know, maybe things that competitors haven't thought of, you're never going to get with that. So we have to understand that, uh, which is taking a more uh, data-informed over a data-driven approach. Uh, what we also do, so we have a very thorough onboarding process to really get a lot of that information out of the client. So we don't take them on unless we understand it at least a baseline level. And then the onboarding process helps us understand their business specifically at a much more deep level. From there, what we're really doing is uh, more, I would say more on the traditional marketing side of things of creating more modern uh, personas where a lot of if you look up marketing personas online, a lot of them are pretty useless um, uh, where we're going, you know, the very basics, like who fundamentally is the customer of our customer. And then when we understand that, everything we do beyond that is a lot easier. So let me give you a more tangible example, uh, both on the SEO and the PPC side of things. So on the SEO side of things, we might find uh, keyword A has 100 searches per month and has, let's just say, a medium competition, whether that's a, a third-party tool saying that or whether you determine that on your own, doesn't really matter. Keyword B has 50 searches per month in a high competition. And let's just say that both of those keywords are in the same funnel stage. With a data-driven approach or with even a lower understanding of the industry, everyone would default to keyword A. It has more searches and it's easier to rank for. Obviously, we're going to go for that. However, being uh, being a, being a more aware, you might find that keyword B, even though it's at the same funnel stage, it's going to be much more helpful to know that answer. It's going to be more to user. So, uh, you know, let's say real estate, I went through the house buying process. And if I'm looking at two keywords, I might go, well, when I was doing my own research, I knew that, you know, this was a, I, the only reason that I searched for that and why I know other people search for that is because they're more qualified. They've done more research beforehand. Someone who's just going to go, I'm going to buy a house. Let me just work with whoever is not even going to know to ask that question. So I'm going to know that that person is going to be much more qualified, much more interested, even though it's the same funnel stage and any sort of data-driven approach to say keyword A is the best. So that's one way to, that, that gets utilized on the SEO side of things. For the Google ads side of things, we have a lot more control over exactly who can see the ads in the first place where a search is just whoever searches for it will see it. Whereas so, for example, with Google ads, we are working with a, a, um, a solo practitioner in the, um, in the therapy space. And one of the challenges where they were a solo practice that offer that charges several hundred dollars an hour and doesn't accept insurance like a lot of uh, therapists don't, at least a lot of solo practitioners don't. And so the average person wouldn't really be able to afford that because it's not something that you go to once. It's something that you go to you know, maybe weekly for like 10 weeks or maybe twice a week, depending on your needs. And so they were offering you know, much higher prices than everybody else. And so by understanding who their customers were, we were able to uh, design a landing page that focused on the exact steps that were really interesting about them that nobody else talked about. So for example, they had uh, a specific process that they'd worked over 20 years for, and nobody else on their landing pages talked about their process. 
So by through that competitor research, we knew that if we mentioned an actual process on the landing page, nobody else had that. Everyone else's landing page was a little bit vague and generic. What we also figured out was if we go to the US census data, it's all public data. We can extract that, put it into Google BigQuery because it's like 4 million plus rows because there's one row for each zip code in the US and each postal code as well. Is we upload to BigQuery and then we just use some basic SQL to get it back into Google Sheets where we can actually manipulate it a lot easier and then create four different income brackets based on qualifications where the top income level, they can afford this no problem. We're willing to pay, let's say $10 per click for those people. Income level two, they can afford it, but it's going to be much more expensive than everybody else. So they're going to think about it a little bit, but they can afford it. Maybe we're only willing to pay $8 per click for those people. Uh, income bracket three, uh, it's going to be really tough. They're going to really want to work with this person. They're going to they're going to probably need some savings as well. Based on the uh, living standards in the area, they're going to be probably a little bit above paycheck to paycheck. So maybe we're only willing to pay $5 per click for these people. And then for uh, level four, you know, the chances are, you know, they're paycheck to paycheck, potentially even below paycheck to paycheck, they're probably not going to be the right fit for the solo practitioner. And so we don't want to run ads against, you know, those particular people who can't afford it. And then also figuring out, okay, what are the other demographics? Like, okay, great. Uh, 90% of your customers are younger than 65 and older than 25. Let's focus on there, so on and so forth. And then starting off day one with a much more targeted approach, where the more traditional approach is, Let's target all age ranges, gather data, and then go, okay, well, this underperforms. Let's get rid of that. But the challenge is that by the time you get that data for a lot of smaller businesses, uh, you know, you could have wasted their entire budget. They could have gone you know, out of business for too many unsuccessful leads or you would have lost the client by then. But what do you think a lot of businesses are doing wrong with their campaigns, whether they're using an agency or if they're doing it in-house? Yeah, so something that I am always shocked at because of how easy it is to do is there are an alarming amount of businesses who still don't have basic conversion tracking set up or engagement tracking either. So if you're e-commerce, a lot of that's built in Google analytics, it's a flip of a switch in most CMSs. If you're, if you built your old CMS, then that's going to be a little bit more complicated, but if you're using WordPress, Shopify, et cetera, flip of a switch, the code's already in there for that to work. Uh, now what they sometimes can be lacking is every step in between that. So, okay, great. We're spending money on ads and we can see who buys and who doesn't, but what about people who actually make it to the product page or actually add something to car, or actually make it to the car, or make it to step one, step two, step three, of the checkout, find where that break point is focused on optimizing there. It's, it's too binary. We say, oh, people are making sales, but if it's because they're making it to the checkout page, but they're not making it to the shipping page, they have the intent to buy at least somewhat where, why is that breakdown happening? And sometimes what you might find is, oh, uh, in Firefox, because every browser renders code a little bit differently, something breaks and this button is actually uh, out of the viewport on mobile. And that's why the conversions are down so much or so much lower than we expect, because we just get so much Firefox mobile traffic for whatever reason, whatever it may be. So that, without that, you can't really diagnose those issues. And it's all that tracking is really built into Google Analytics. You just need to you know, set up that extra tracking code to track that engagement. For the lead generation side of things, is tracking things from not just who filled out a form or who called, but how many of those were actually qualified and how many of those actually turned into customers. That's a little bit more complicated because then you have to have some sort of CMS or you could do it through spreadsheets. And if you want to pull that data back into Google ads, you have to use importing offline conversions. And so you need to know how to capture hidden form fields to capture the GCL ID and then pass that back into it. So that's a little bit more complicated, but at the very least, 
going, okay, great. We got these leads. This is where they came in from what's qualified or what's not, uh, rather than just knowing who filled out a a form and who didn't, because in some cases you might find that ad group one has a 10% conversion rate, but a 3% qualification rate ad group two has a 5% conversion rate, but an 80% qualification rate. And so if you only look at the Google ads data, you're going to be spending more money on what doesn't work and less money on what does work. So that's a really big one because it's just 99% of what you want to do can be achieved either through Google analytics or Google tag manager. And there's going to be a tutorial already on YouTube walking through step-by-step of it. So that's a really big one. The other one is when it comes to advertising specifically less on the SEO side, but all that's also applicable to SEO issue, I'll speed tracking conversions there. But on the advertising side of things is not, is targeting based off of keywords and affinities and in-market audiences and not actually who your customer is and just going, okay, uh, our customers like hiking gear. So I'm going to target people who are interested in buying hiking gear, but not diving a lot deeper and going, well, we know people who uh, are within this age range, this income, et cetera, et cetera. All those features are already built in there. And so if you know who your customer is, uh, get as niche down as possible with the ads. And then Google ads going, goes from being really expensive to a lot less expensive than you ever thought. Right. Because you're not wasting money on clicks that don't lead to sales. Right. And you know, and I agree with you, it's very important to not just focus on the number of leads being generated, but how many of those leads actually convert to sales or customers. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting is kind of a balance between trying to get as many leads as you can from your lead form or trying to qualify those leads with the lead form. What are your thoughts on that? So... Either way works, to be honest. It, it just depends on how complicated the qualification process is. And I think it's just you, that's why it's so important to understand how things work end to end. So, for example, if I were to run a campaign for, you know, let's keep it simple, let's say roofing, and one of my forms says, you know, are you a homeowner? Because I'll say they only work with homeowners, they don't do anything B2B. And if they say no, then, you know, it doesn't submit or says, oh, sorry, you know, we we can't help you or whatever it may be. You know, that's going to be a much higher quality form submission. Your conversion rate is going to be much lower. And so the challenge that some people will run into is when they start with something that's very general, and then they get a lot more restricted with their form, and then they see the conversion rate on Google ads drop, and then they freak out. I've seen this happen with smaller businesses. I've seen this happen with very established businesses with, you know, marketing teams because, you know, maybe they forgot what change was made and then, you know, where they have automation set up again that then go, oh no, the conversion rate dropped by more than 20%. And so we need to make this drastic action automatically or whatever it may be. Either way works. Personally, I'm a fan of more so qualifying before the form fill, primarily because then it takes up additional resources. It's going to take up more sales resources. It's going to take up a lot more um, whatever resources beyond that. If you are a SaaS company, maybe you actually do demos for people that are less qualified that you could have asked a question beforehand, um, so on and so forth. That qualification helps a lot. What I'm also a really big fan of is tagging the quality of leads that come in and then organizing your sales inbox based on that. So for example... If somebody uh, says that they're a homeowner, sets it to no, and then submits it, what a lot of people do is just say, okay, great. It just doesn't hit the inbox. 
but that's trusting too much of the um, of how much attention the average consumer will pay attention when they're filling out forms. And so there's a good chance they may have ac- accidentally hit no, or it was set to yes, but their scroll bar was somehow connected to that form field and they scrolled down on the page and it changed it to a no or whatever it may be. So what I like is also still sending that through, but then tagging it as a much lower, much less likely to be a qualified lead. And then you just focus on, you know, the top down for most qualified, at least qualified so that you're not missing out on that either. Jared, for an early stage founder, do you recommend that they try to just take on their marketing in-house or hire an agency? So when you say in-house, do you mean they do it themselves or that they hire somebody else to do it in-house? Uh, either or. Most of the time, startup founders don't have the time. So I'd say, you know, hire someone with some marketing knowledge and start a marketing department. Yeah. So I think... Honestly, all three solutions are viable. It depends on the person. It depends on the funds. It depends on the experience. If somebody is starting their uh, 10th company and they're very familiar with how all this stuff works, it's going to be a lot easier and a lot faster to potentially just hire an agency than, or even hire somebody in-house, depending on how many channels you're trying to get into at once. Usually what I, what I see and what I typically recommend is that understand how the marketing channel works at a basic level, which is usually get started with it yourself. You can make a good amount of progress just going onto YouTube and just typing in, you know, sometimes even your industry plus that marketing channel, and you'll find people walk you through it step-by-step because unfortunately you will find that there are agencies that will perform worse than what you can do after watching one YouTube video. And that's not good, (laughs) especially when they have 10 plus years of experience. So usually I recommend that in terms of hiring a marketing person in-house, uh, I like to see companies that have marketing people in-house, but usually as more of a coordinator and associate and more of that kind of catch-all person rather than necessarily someone who just specializes in one thing because chances are you don't need someone spending eight hours a day working through your Google Ads account. And if you don't have someone that has spent eight hours a day working through a Google Ads account, then they might not be managing that as well as possible. So if the funds are there to make that hiring decision, usually... uh, I would, I would personally go for agencies first because it's going to be cheaper, honestly, than paying someone to get a salary. And they're probably going to have a lot more experience and they're going to than someone who's more general marketing. And then have that marketing person come in to help where those gaps are. So, oh, you know, we need to get started with some email marketing, but we can't afford to pay somebody, you know, thousands of dollars a month to manage your emails for us. Well, we could have a marketing person just spend like an hour of his or her time to send some emails and we'll worry about making it much more important later. And then once email marketing becomes much more important, then maybe we need to pass that off to somebody who just specializes in email marketing. And then, you know, now the marketing person is now coordinating between those people, making sure the budgets are aligned, checking KPIs, and now they become the middleman of the communication point between the owner, the COO, the CFO, whoever it may be, uh, so that they don't have to jump on to that. So that's personally what I like to see and what I have found to be the most effective is usually when we're working with somebody who is in-house marketing, who has helped coordinating everything else, who is helping with brand alignment and who knows the target audiences and who's going, who has some design knowledge to give us feedback and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff is really helpful, especially working with clients. I've always enjoyed working with clients that have someone in a marketing role, uh, aside from working with someone like a CEO, because they just don't have time and they don't understand anything Mm -hmm. about it. Um, but I agree with you. Chances are you're not going to find a marketing wizard that is an expert in every channel. 
So what we really should be going after is hiring more of like an executive marketing position to manage all of marketing and piece it out to agencies. Because, you know, if you're a small company, you don't need a lot. Like you said, it's going to be way cheaper because we've got a marketing team and you can just, you know, pay for a little piece of it. You don't need to hire five people for all of your different channels, right? So Jared, what would you say your secrets to scale are? build something that's sustainable before thinking about scale. This was one of my um, personal biggest mistakes, which what I mentioned earlier, you know, down like 87% uh, in revenue at one point, because it was just, you know, it's someone who's just starting out may not agree, but I think in retrospective, uh, in a retrospective perspective, business is fairly simple which is that it's all you need to do to have a successful agency is the quality of your work doesn't matter. Like that pains me to say as someone who spends a lot of time on the quality of the work, but if you're able to acquire clients and retain them longer than it takes you to bring in new clients, you'll continue to grow and your revenue will continue to rise. You know, if, if you like, if someone leaves within one month, but you, for every, it's like a hydra, you replace them with you know, at least 1.1 more clients by the time that they leave, then you'll continue to grow. But at a certain point, it becomes less sustainable. And I've seen businesses that have started in this industry gotten to 50,000 a month within a couple months. And then two years later, you know, they're out of business because they didn't have something that was sustainable. So that's something that I've personally, uh, you know, focused on a lot where if we go, uh, at least from our personal experiences that we go, okay, great. You know, we're really busy right now. Instead of just hiring somebody, which is an additional liability because there's more payroll expenses, there's more training to be done. That's more time that's being taken away. That's, um, you know, that's more clients that we have to take on, uh, you know, in order to work with that person. It's let's figure out how we can do everything that we're doing now with less time. Maybe we can invest more in a custom software uh, into custom scripts, into whatever it may be, uh, simplify how we're, what we're doing, um, get to a point in which, you know, the world could end and we'd still be in business where, you know, as of right now, all of our clients could leave us today and we would be at the same revenue level within three months, maybe four months. And not only that, but we would have enough cash to last probably about a year, but we keep at least a six month cash reserve, but based on the other cash in the bank, it'd probably be another six months or so. And so we have, we have all that capital in case things go bad, we built up that, you know, we could have spent that on whatever, you know, customer acquisition, whatever it may have been. But then if something went wrong, you know, we could have easily gone out of business. I mean, look at what happened with COVID. I saw so many, uh, you know, niching is great. And then I saw somebody who was, uh, you know, in the travel industry and they said, well, within 24 hours, all of our clients are gone. We had to fire, you know, two dozen people from our company because we didn't have the cash reserves. And now, you know, that's obviously not great. So I focus much more on sustainability. And then once I'm at a level that is sustainable, I get to the next level, whatever I deem that to be. And then I build that moat back around the sustainability at that level. And then I make it to the next level. It's a much slower growth perspective. But when that growth does happen, that growth is very quick because everything is there to get to that level. And when hard times come, uh, you know, we're not going to be out of business in two months. Like I've seen, uh, you know, unfortunately too many people uh, in our space and in other spaces, uh, you know, be in that position. Yeah. I mean, who would have known that niching down would be the worst thing you could ever do uh, for that <laughs> situation? Uh, it's always the complete opposite of what everyone uh, practices, right? Um, but but I couldn't agree more with that. Having the right foundation is so important. Uh, sometimes I watch some of these companies grow 
so rapidly and I'm just thinking like, what does that look like under the hood? How, how are they sustaining all of that? They've got to just be burning through cash and not knowing what's going on, right? Yeah. And I, I've worked for some of those businesses and usually it's one or two people in that company are keeping everything together. And as soon as those people leave, you know, that business is, is screwed. You know, I've seen people that have started, you know, whenever I see anybody that's like, oh, no, you're doing it wrong. You have to do it this way or, you know, business is never going to you know grow or whatever, unless you do it this way. You know, I just go, okay, great. You know, I'll see you in three to five years because oftentimes, you know, sure. They had that really fast growth. They, you know, they became, notable within the industry because wow within their first year they created a seven-figure agency and then two years later it's gone because the way that they were able to create that was with a partnership of somebody else and they they with them and then you know they or they didn't know how to maintain their cash reserves or they uh, a vendor screwed them over and they didn't have any operational security and so that you know whatever it may be so usually when i see stuff like that i just kind of ignore and go okay great you know we'll see where they are in you know three to five years yeah, you know, it also depends on what path you want to be on as an entrepreneur and a founder, too. Uh, not everyone wants to scale to a billion-dollar company, right? Not everyone wants that responsibility. And, the, you know, it's a roller coaster ride getting to that point. And if you focus on the foundation and making sure that you got processes and systems in place and security, like financial security, like you mentioned, then when you do grow, it's going to be so much easier because it's not going to be so stressful and you're going to have the time to manage all of that. So Jared, I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this interview. What is a good way for anyone listening to get in contact with you? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Comet Fuel, you can go to cometfuel.com or if you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to help me out, you can look me up on YouTube and then share my content around. Awesome, man. Well, we'll make sure to link up all those in the show notes. And thank you again, Jared. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Seekers to Scale. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. This episode is sponsored by Ranksy Digital Marketing. If you need any help at all growing your business online, we would love to help you. Just visit our website at ranksy.com. That's R-A-N-K-S-E-Y.com.